In today's episode, we're talking about creativity and fandom. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have helped guide their careers to success? And then we apply all those insights to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, in today's episode, I am super excited because while we have Disney background here at Engagement, we're sitting down with another leader from another company that I think does an excellent job at really creating deep emotional connections with young kids and adults alike. We are sitting down with James Gregson from the Lego Group. Now, James is the creative director at Lego Agency, their internal content agency, overseeing brand, marketing, content. And prior to that, he was the head of social studios within the Lego Agency. So as you can imagine in this episode, we are going to get into a lot of really interesting concepts around how do you create content that really connects with your current fans and deepens their love for your brand. But simultaneously, how do you create content that brings in new people into your brand? And we are going to go deep into some different stories that he's got from different campaigns that they've worked on. And we try to tease out a lot of principles from James's stories. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode with James Gregson. James, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I am really looking forward to jumping in on this episode with you. Uh, Lego has always been a brand that when I think about emotional connections, fandom, the breadth of which you're able to turn adults into little kids and little kids just being able to inspire creativity. I grew up with Legos, had the, the old uh, NBA All-Star packs, <laughs> the old Millennium Falcons pack that I think my mom sold at a garage sale when it was brand new. And I'm like, that was worth so much money. Um, but yes. I'm really excited to jump into this episode because you guys do a lot of incredible things at Lego. Thanks. Yeah, no, I'm happy, right. happy to be here. Happy, happy to share a little bit of my background. Let's do it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your new role that you're in. So previously you were head of social studios, but now you've got a broader content creative brand role. Talk to us a little bit about that differentiation between roles. Yeah. Um, uh, so Lego has been, uh, through a lot of changes, uh, um, changes is pretty constant, uh, at a big, big organization like ours, um, uh, social, social media as a, uh, team, uh, was in a, a certain department, um, a digital consumer engagement team, which was part of our, uh, customer service, uh, Lego.com, uh, and a bunch of other departments. Um, and we sort of, uh, since sort of broken off that team and sort of, uh, to, in order to scale it more effectively across the organization, uh, various parts of that, uh, team have been moved into other departments, right? So we used to oversee uh, community, uh, channel engagement, um, right. And community management that now all sits with our fantastic customer service team. Uh, and they're doing uh, a much more scaled level job of, uh, engaging with our fans across our social channels. Um, uh, you know, uh, creative production, um, and a lot of the content that you see, uh, in now sits within, uh, the internal creative agency, uh, and was a, 
was part of my responsibility as a head of social studios. Um, then you've got things like channel strategy, um, that now sits within a different team. So it's sort of, uh, been more adequately, uh, compartmentalized into various departments, uh, so that social is no longer sort of its standalone division. Um, and you know, to continue that sort of expansion. Um, so I was responsible for, uh, as we said, uh, social studios, which was, um, responsible for creating a lot of the organic content, uh, that you saw, uh, across Lego social channels, um, part of our sort of America's department. And there were similar roles in EMEA and APAC, uh, and then globally, um, and now sort of, uh, more broadly expanded that role. So no, no longer just social, it's everything from uh, shopper to online video to print, um, as a, as a co-creative director. So I have a, a creative director partner, um, who I work closely with, uh, and we sort of divide and conquer it across all of our, uh, sort of projects. Love it. So if I'm, if I'm summarizing that, it kind of feels like y'all move from social being about it, where, while you had a focus on content, it was also kind of combined with this customer service, interacting oh, community yeah. building. And now you've kind yeah. of split those out because those are different skill sets, being able to create really engaging content and being able to build a community. Those are two different things. And so it makes sense that they kind of sp split it up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the goal was right to really, truly scale it. Uh, and to do so, you needed to, to break that up and, and put it into the various groups that, that were best suited for it. Well, let's talk about content. Uh, now, when we work with a lot of sports teams, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes they fall into this trap of creating content for everyone because they're like, oh, we have a big consumer base. And when I think about yes. Lego, Lego is really designed for people that are anywhere from four years old to 99 years old. So yep. how do you really create impactful pieces of content that are designed for different people? I mean, how do you guys break that up? Yeah. Uh juicy first question just jumped right into there uh listen i mean i think um we don't always do it well is the first thing i will say uh we don't always do it well i think one of our biggest challenges as a brand is that we are trying to be sometimes all things to all people um and that from a content performance standpoint uh is usually pretty clear right the more general content you put out there uh it doesn't always perform the best um and on the flip side Sometimes you could be hyper specific with some content, uh, and it's too narrow and too niche and doesn't, you know, perform the, the same, uh, the, you know, as well as that, that more general content and then more specifically, and then you look at performance, you measure those two pieces of content as an apples to apples comparison. And that's not fair, right? Mm -hmm. So we can go on and on. I think, um, you know, when we take in, uh, briefs, um, from, uh, you know, our various stakeholders, uh, you know, we are trying to be very specific about who this content is for, uh, what is the emotional reaction we want to incite, um, out of consuming that content. Um, because uh, at the end of the day, I think that's how you start, you know, cutting through the clutter, uh, is, you know, creating something memorable, creating something shareable. Right. And the sort of internal benchmark that we always uh, talk about or that I always talk about on my team, uh, in the social days was, uh, is that something that I want to share? Now I'm not always the audience, right. And I get that, but is it for lack of a better term, cool. And do I want to, as an individual consumer, want to share that piece of content on my social channels? Um, that to me is always a, a good litmus test of whether what we're creating 
is good. Um, because as I said, you know, there's, there's no right answer from, uh, you know, the, the audience first approach to creating content, but I do think being very specific about the objective and what the goal of that piece of content is, uh, is supposed to do helps the output, the creative output. So for the most part, if I understand this as well, like in, internally from a job function perspective, you guys are going to the different departments and, or they're coming to you and saying, Hey, James, we've got this idea. We want, ideally it happens like this, right? Mm -hmm. They, they say, Hey, we want to reach this audience and we want to have this emotional connection with this audience. James, how would we go about doing that? And then you, from there, you guys prepare, prepare a creative brief and you say, Yes. Hey, if it's this, this demographic, we need to be on YouTube. If it's this demographic, we need to be on TikTok. And here's the type of content. Is that, that's kind of how it works? Yeah, it, it definitely goes both ways, right? Uh, you know, we're not just a service center within, uh, our, our internal creative agency. We are also pro, you know, very purpose-driven about, uh, creating proactive opportunities, right. And identifying those proactive opportunities, even from a, a strategic standpoint, right. Uh, we, we just recently, uh, I kicked off a project uh, dedicated, uh, or targeting a Latinx audience. Um, mm -hmm. right. And that started within our strategy team, uh, in the internal agency, identifying, uh, a Latinx audience as a, as an op a growth opportunity for the brand in the Americas. Um, and you know, they did everything from identify the size of the prize, uh, and what this could mean from a financial standpoint, um, to our marketing partners, uh, sold it in from with that in mind saying, right, this, this is how big this opportunity could be from a profitability standpoint, um, to all the way through to a creative campaign, to a media strategy. Um, so that, that's sort of, a, a sort of the proactive side of things. And there definitely is a marketing, uh, brief that comes in and says, Hey, we need to reach this audience, do that. How can we do it? And we sort of collaborate that way. Well, one, one thing that is kind of a burning question for me, and, and it, again, it comes up with a lot of our clients is the different strategies that you use for deepening emotional connections with current fans versus trying to attract new fans into the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So do you have different frameworks that you guys use at Legos or even personally different strategies for connect driving those two different outcomes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there, there definitely is. And I think the most obvious one, uh, you can see, uh, from our wonderful, uh, partnerships team, right. From, uh, identifying, uh, potential product partnerships, right. Uh, it's not a hot take cause I think it posted yesterday. Uh, but we, you know, we just announced, a a product launch, um, partnership with transformers, right. Uh, pretty clear. Um, I don't think my kids have any idea who the transformers are. Maybe they do. I don't know. Uh, I certainly know what the transformers are and I'm very excited to buy that set when it comes out. Um, right. So, uh, there's a clear strategic approach to identifying our product partnerships. Um, right. And I think, uh, I'm sure that team, and I don't know, I'm um, saying, I totally am sure that team says no more times than they say yes. And they're the ones imagine. seeking out the product partnerships because it's very it's very, very audience driven, right? I don't even know this. And I've, I've talked about this before in, in, in other, uh, interviews, right? Uh, I'm a huge soccer fan. Uh, Who, who's your team? Arsenal is my team. So we're coming off go. a man. devastating defeat <laughs> last I'm, night, I'm a man, which is I'm very a man you guy myself, but okay. Oh, there you go. Welcome. Welcome to the misery. Um, not, I'm not <laughs> as miserable as you. Um, right. But if you look at the, the three sets, 
the three state uh, soccer stadium sets that we've launched, um, right? Uh, I don't know this for sure, uh, but I'm uh, not taking hugely the faith by saying this. Uh, sports are a passion point uh, that we don't have a big presence in, um, but we know uh, uh, it's obviously a huge passion point for consumers. Um, so this was a, a, a good foray to sports. Um, one, uh, soccer is the most global sport out there, right? Uh, and the three sets in order that we have pulled out are, uh, the three largest followed, uh, clubs on Facebook, right? So I'm just assuming someone has done the math here to assume that these are the biggest global organization, sports, uh, soccer organizations, we will create a few products in line with those biggest opportunities because it's going to drive the most commercial. But so for attracting new fans, it really does feel like Lego mm. heavily relies on collabs and partnerships to bring yes. in new audiences to the, Hey, I might not have ever bought a Lego set before, but they got a, they got an arsenal set. I'm probably going to yeah. buy that because I have a collection of arsenal things and we'll add one more thing to the mix. I would love that for it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so when we think about deepening connections with current fans, I think you guys have a lot of really unique strategies as well. I mean, talk to us a yeah. little bit about some of the content that you guys are creating to create deeper connections with current fans. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you, if you look at, um, you know, uh, it's not just those partnerships, right? We also have, uh, new play propositions, right? So Lego dots, which is like our tile based play pattern. Uh, that is another way to, uh, attract new audiences from a content standpoint. Um, you know, I think you've got to look at, uh, you know, the, our, our YouTube uh, channel, uh, and sort of our, our sort of long form content strategy that we have, um, where, you know, we are creating, uh, you know, TV shows for Lego owned IPs, whether it's Ninjago series or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Lego star Wars, uh, on Disney plus, um, we definitely have a number of sort of different content strategies for a number of different audience types, right? So long form content. There's an entire team dedicated to, uh, you know, identifying and producing those, those, uh, entertainment pieces of content. Um, and then from, you know, more of a campaign, uh, uh, content standpoint, yes, my team is very responsible for, uh, you know, creating that. And what does that, uh, 30 second spot look like for a Latinx audience, right? And how do we bring, uh, a 90 year old brand that is seen as maybe too expensive for that audience, um, uh, in front of them and share with them that there is, uh, uh, a value to our product, um, where, you know, it's, uh, one toy can bring, you know, an infinite amount of possibilities and it's, um, and how can we resonate? How can we get our product to resonate with, with that audience? Um, so it's a lot of, uh, you know, typical creative stuff, everything from, uh, a lot of copywriting and a lot of, uh, insight driven creative, right? So we do a lot of work with our strategy team to identify in the case of Latinx, what is their biggest barrier, right? Um, why do they not like Lego? Um, right. And I think that, uh, research showed us that, um, everyone knew what Lego was, but they'd seen it as a luxury product, uh, and two expenses for them. Um, right. So it's about, uh, uh, one, one bring general awareness to them, uh, about, uh, Lego, uh, and to, uh, sharing that there is actually, uh, you know, uh, products under, under $10 or under 
$15, under $20? And how do we get that in a way that resonates with them? I love it. When you think about really being insights focused and you're not just creating mm -hmm. content because it's cool, you're really creating content because it's designed to perform a specific and execute on a specific strategy that you're working yep. with the strategy team on. I mean, for you in your mind, like with this Latinx project, what are some of the metrics or specific insights that you're using to determine whether this project's been a success or not? Yeah. Uh, every project has a different objective, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I think, um, right. Uh, at the same time, if we're not selling products, uh, we probably wouldn't have a job for too long. Right. So selling product, primary objective, not always the objective, I will say, um, you know, look at our global brand campaign of rebuild the world. You know, there are specifically not rebuild the world products on, on the shelf, right? It is, uh, much more of a brand level Nike, just do it type communication, uh, as a way to position our brand as, you know, this sort of open creativity, uh, uh creative project or creative, uh, product. Um, so sales would be the number one KPI, uh, in most cases. Um, you know, and then I think you can really sort of narrow it down and, and drill down even further. Right. I, I always look at it from my, uh, social studio days where, um, you know, performance was everything. And we were, uh, the performance of certain content was informing and driving what we would do next. Um, right. And I really loved those days and I kind of miss those days a little bit. Um, you know, I think it's less for us, uh, on the campaign side where we're creating, you know, uh, you know, web assets, digital banners, uh, bumpers for YouTube, TV commercials. Um, you know, it is as simple as, uh, you know, things like Kantar studies, performance studies and, uh, and sales, um, for the best way to determine performance. Um, you know, but I do love the days of social when we were looking at asset by asset, what performed and why, um, and, you know, looking at engagement rate and things like that. Those feedback loops are great. I mean, as a guy yes. for me that like, I like to know how I'm doing when you're in that yes. social space, it is pretty cool. Cause you immediately can see I posted X, Y, Z content and I got X, Y, Z results back and it's pretty instantaneous and that's oh, a pretty absolutely. good feeling. But then when you get absolutely. into the no. side, it's a little different. Go ahead. Yes, it is. It is literally, you know, the campaign side is a much more, you know, holistic, broader, uh, approach to yeah. things, but yeah, I, I I vividly remember, uh, uh, I won't say who, but we brought in, uh, a very big, uh, social media organization, like an editorial uh, organization. And they talked about their editorial approach to, to social content. This was just purely from a learning standpoint. Um, and they talked about the fact that, uh, they knew how content was going to perform within the first 60 seconds of the analytics showing up. Right. And, uh, in some cases they were even deleting content, um, because they Wild. deemed bad, bad content, uh, damaging to their channels algorithm. So it was wild, right? They were really, really analytics first. They made us look like, uh, not very <laughs> analytics first, even though we were, you know, in analytic meetings every, every week. Um, and I do think, you know, that, you know, for anyone that's been in the social space, I, I think that creates a really different perspective, uh, in my sort of new role as a creative director, because I am very, very data driven. I am wildly analytical. Um, I hate going on gut, 
Uh, you know, and that's why I'm always working very closely with our strategy team and our insights team, because um, I miss being connected to that data or that customer data that drives, they used to drive a lot of the decision-making creatively. Well, let's get into story time. I know we're talking about hard yep. data, but thinking <laughs> about that, uh, is there is there a specific campaign or thread or piece of content that evoked reactions or results that you weren't expecting? Like something that like totally surprised you, like, man, that was a major flop and I was all in on that or holy cow, huge success. And I was not high on it. I mean, I'm going to not answer your question, but answer your question. So, uh, I think as part of, uh, our previous role in the social studios, right. We were, we were predicated at identifying opportunities that sat outside of the, the briefs that we were getting. Right. Uh, and, uh, in our office, uh, in Connecticut, we have, uh, six master model builders. Um, right. That's literally their job title. Uh, and they are, they are one of a group of people globally that are creating those life-size models, right? Like everything from like the massive life-size Ford Mustang to, uh, a T-Rex head that I saw in the warehouse last week. Um, you know, so, at we sat there like, and they're a separate entity. They are, uh, you know, they have customers internally and externally. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking, why aren't we creating this content? Right? Like, why aren't we, uh, creating stop, uh, you know, time-lapse footage of this, uh, and, right, and that of them building. Yeah, correct. Uh, right. And that gave you know, birth to an massive content strategy around big builds, right? Um, and we sort of built a pretty simple formula uh, to it. Um, and that was everything from how many bricks, how long it took, what it weighs, uh, how big it is. Uh, and, you know, it's highly uh, entertaining, pretty awe-inspiring uh, content that is perfect for social, that sits has nothing to do with commercial momentum, right? And it has everything to do with, uh, driving that sort of brand love and, and mm-hmm. sort of also driving that like aspirational component of like, wow, like it was such a cool product. Look what they do. Uh, I'm glad you shared that story. And I know you didn't answer my question exactly, but that one, that story works great because I think it's a perfect yeah. example of, again, there are a lot of big organizations, especially in the sports side of things that we work with who yes. have created this this front on social where everything has to be perfectly curated and we can only show what's on stage and we're scared to show what's behind the scenes and we're scared to show what's backstage. But in reality, your fans that like are dying and have like dying to interact with you and engage with you and get access. That's the stuff they really want to see. And that's, what's going to create brand love. I I couldn't agree with you more of being a, a sports fan and also taking great inspiration from, you know, the various, uh, sports organizations that do great things. Um, you know, I, I saw recently the Panthers, uh, Carolina Panthers did like an amazing, it was today, an amazing, uh, like nineties nostalgic, uh, schedule announcement. Um, and I'm sitting there from a creative standpoint being like, that's a like large scale production over a schedule announcement. And I'm seeing that thing like, you know, the risk reward and, you know, the ROI and that sort of thing. I mean, it's, as a piece of content, standalone is beautiful. I highly recommend you check it out. 
you know, it's everything from like the Bud Light, what's up commercial in the background to, uh, you know, people playing, uh, classic Nintendo. And the sound is big. I get it. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, the sports world is challenging, right? Talk about fandoms. You've got people that are more passionate than anything. Um, so yeah, I could go on. It's, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, we've had Amy Keene, the, uh, she was formerly the head of content for, uh, the Panthers, uh, on yep. our show. And she gave an insight into how they create internally and what drives their strategy. So it's a great episode. We'll link to it in the show notes. But cool. uh, they, a, a lot of these teams do a really good job creating yep. pieces like that. Um, well, let, yeah. let's talk. Let's talk bigger Lego strategy now, uh, especially sure. around content and engaging with fans. Um, mm-hmm. Coming from you know having the Disney background that that we have on our team here at Engagement, I think that what Lego does around trying to inspire play with an, with yes. adults and Lego being the perfect outlet for people I, is, has been really incredible. And you guys have created some great content geared towards adults who you wouldn't think is the main target audience, but you've done a lot of great work gearing content towards adults to bring them into the ecosystem as well. Um, so how does your content specifically kind of help nurture that urge to play within adults? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always said this, right? Like, uh, we have the easiest job in the world from that standpoint, right? Like we are one and we're a toy, right? Uh, two, we're a toy that everyone plays with or everyone has played with in theory. Um, so that's a, and, and three, um, from a parent standpoint, right? We're, we're, uh, a productive toy. We're not a video game. Uh, you know, we are, uh, a collaborative toy, uh, right? So there's a lot of like very easy value propositions, uh, to pre to, to work off of, right. To create that warm and fuzzy feeling, uh, from a content strategy standpoint. Right. So I, I can't say that enough. There's, we're working with a wonderful, wonderful foundation here. Um, you know, and I think the the second part of that is just to be, uh, very grounded in that idea, right? Everything has got to tie back to building. Everything has got to tie back to creativity. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, layer down to that, how can we be, uh, purpose-driven, right? How can we be even more purpose-driven in that? Right. So how can we use, uh, Lego as an education tool or, uh, how can, uh, we tell those stories of, um, you know, the people in zoos using Lego as a way to help a handicapped turtle, right? Um, now, uh, half the time it's our fans doing this, these amazing stories. And we're just helping to give visibility to it. Um, but I can't say it enough is that it's not our team being the creative ones here. It's the, you know, the founders of the product, right? The, the, the guys that made the toy, uh, and, and, uh, have continued to bring it into the place that it is. It, it's a wonderful canvas to work off of. Well, I think inspiration for me as I'm hearing that is like, if you're another organization listening to this. It's really about taking your your larger purpose, the larger goals that mm-hmm. you're trying to achieve as a brand, and thinking about the product as just the vehicle to encourage those bigger values, that bigger purpose, Absolutely. and not being purely about the product. Yep. We, you know, we have a really simple mission statement, which is uh, inspire the builders of tomorrow. Um, that is our mission statement, right? And I, I somewhat joke, uh, although it's a little broad from a content strategy standpoint, but that should be the foundational content strategy across every single piece of content we see, right? It should inspire people to build. Um, and if it doesn't, you know, 
somewhere within that content toolbox or within that campaign, you get to some inspirational building content. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, that message alone, I remember my first day, uh, you know, getting this sort of full orientation and they went through sort of that mission statement. And I was like, this, this is great. Awesome. All right. Well, on that note around create or encouraging people to build and encouraging builders, uh, this is this. So this one isn't like a, a content play per se, but so speak to this as much as you can feel free to be like, Hey, that's not my area. Um, but the, it's one of my favorite parts of Lego. That's like, especially niche, which is this ability to suggest new products and the entire ecosystem that y'all have built around and structure that mm. you've built around fans of Legos or Lego consumers submitting ideas that then there's a whole system of voting and upvoting and it's got to get over 10,000 yeah. vote. Like, can you talk to us a little bit about that for somebody that's never heard of this program? Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, so again, I'm not responsible for it, so I can't take any credit for it. Um, but, uh, you know, I was trying to think actually, as you were telling that question, who was like the originator of this idea, right? But there's, there's uh, hundreds of uh, places we've taken inspiration from, right? Whether that was, uh, you know, Indiegogo and the, those sort of crowdsourcing, uh, crowdfunding sites, uh, you know, all the way through to, uh, you know, Lay's, I think you must remember the Lay's campaign where they were crowdsourcing like flavors of potato chips. So like, I'm pretty sure that's still in existence. And that's like a 10 year old, I think it was a Facebook campaign. I think it started as a Facebook campaign where fans could vote. Um, Right. And the strategy is pretty simple. Uh, if you let fans vote on something, you can bet the fans that are voting, uh, want the thing that they're voting for. Right. So it's built in, um, supply chain management, right. It's genius. Uh, or, you know, yeah. So it, it, from that standpoint, you know, the wonderful person that came up with crowdfunding, good for him. Uh, we've just taken that strategy and applied it to Lego. Right. So, uh, as we've always said, as I've said before, um, we have some of the best fans in the world. No question. The most creative fans in the world. Uh, you type in Lego on YouTube, uh, and it's not our content that comes up. It's their content that comes up, right? Again, Lego is just a fantastic canvas for, for creativity. Um, and so with that in mind, right, uh, you know, Lego ideas is this, uh, crowdsourcing, um, way for people to get their Lego builds and Lego ideas, uh, built um, like literally built and, and put on shelf and, and uh, put on sale. And I think oh, a few of the idea sets, do I? Yeah. I know a few of the idea sets behind me. Um, right. The yellow submarine right there. Um, too cool. Right. So it, I think it's a, it's a wonderfully strategic idea. It's a wonderful way to bring the fans into the brand and make them feel a part of it. Um, uh, uh, and I, I can't say it's wildly original, uh, but I can't say it is wildly effective, right? For all the reasons that I just shared. No doubt. And I think that's one of the things for me on a sports side of things. I mean, how cool would it be if you could select the next merch or you could vote on the next merch collab, Arsenal merch collab that they're yeah. doing, right? Like, I mean, any anything like that. I think, again, this is one of our missions on the sports side of things is to honestly have it have them act a little bit more like Lego, where they're focused on what is it that the fans want and how can we go and get that feedback and service and create new services and products based on what they're asking for. Well, it's very, very kind of you to say they're uh, inspired to be like us. I mean, yeah, you know, I think the, the strategy is always, uh, the more you can let your consumer in, uh, the better off you are right from behind the scenes to, uh, yeah, letting them participate in, in 
merchandise design, whatever it might be. I think there's a, there's a lot, a lot of value to that, um, you know, of bringing that customer in. I'm, I'm going to plug, uh, one random one. I don't know if you're in the NFT space at all. Uh, are, are you, are you in the NFT space at all? I am not an owner, uh, okay. but I am very close to, uh, the space. Yeah. Okay. So there, this, I mean, a lot of this, this strategy reminds me of what Nike has been doing with their, with their partnership, or I guess ownership now of the company artifact, where they've really gone out and they said, Hey, we'll design this metaverse room. And we want all of you guys to create different designs for it. And then we'll vote on it and you can sell those designs. And they've really created this ecosystem of builders. A lot of people who are building using blender and 3d modeling Mm -hmm. tools for the first time. But it's it's just been so refreshing to be a part of a community as opposed to just a passive fan interacting. Absolutely, and I think you know that that entire creator space, like across uh, the metaverse, across Web three, across you know TikTok and influencer, uh, is just in a wonderful place right now. Uh, like you know from you know the the average influencer creating merch and profitably creating merch. Uh, it's a much better place, I think, than uh, than for brands to have that ownership. So I agree. I think merging of those two worlds is great, somewhat like Lego Ideas has done. Are there trends in that larger creator economy space that you're really paying attention to that are really interesting that maybe you're taking inspiration from or you've got certain feelings about? Oh, that's a lot to unpack in that question. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, uh, listen, I you've got influencers, right, that are now creators for good reason, right? Because the best influencers are, are profiting off of their influencer or influence capabilities. Um, you know, and I think our, uh, influencer strategy shows, right. We've gone, we've moved away from, we're not shows you might not know this, right. But so we've gone away from like a lot of brands got away from working with, uh, and partnering with, uh, the mommy bloggers of this world, right. Or the the parental influencers, uh, uh, to working with, uh, content creators, right? People that create amazing content. Um, I think that's a massively important pivot because it, it's becoming less about the person and more about the content, right? Uh, and I always talk about Casey Neistat as like the original legend. creator legend, yes. absolute legend. He created like a vlog last week or two weeks ago. And I was like, oh my God, I did not realize how much I missed this. But for anyone that doesn't know, Casey Neistat was uh, a very popular YouTuber way ahead of his game. Uh, he was probably deemed an influencer back when influencers were what they are. Um, and you know, he, for me defined the right, him, his, him and his partnership with Samsung defined the right way to work with mm-hmm influencers, right? And it was about bringing them in and making them part of your brand, uh, and, and getting them to create for you. Uh, and I think it's a, a so that whole creator space and the whole evolution of influencers, I think is really exciting. Um, and yeah, they're going to be even more important, uh, than they were before, which I think is interesting, right? Influencers had, were a bit of a dirty word, uh, probably a couple of years ago. Um, right. I love what, uh, North Face and Gucci have done by bringing, you know, a really popular TikTok influencer into their fold and making him, you know, the, uh, the focal point of their campaign. It's just one wonderful, like I'm all for an internet culture. 
Uh, and when internet culture hits more mainstream uh, in the right way, I'm very excited. Have there been any specific partnerships that you guys have done that you've been, you've looked back at and said, yeah, that's a really, I'm really glad we did that creator partnership or influencer partnership and, and what made that successful if so? Ooh, let's think. Um, yeah, I think the work, uh, that, uh, our America's marketing team did, uh, with, uh, our target partnership, um, mm. it's um, embarrassed. I can't remember the name of the creator now. Um, but, uh, it was a wonderful piece of, uh, some wonderful, wonderful series of content, uh, really, uh, sort of aligned perfectly with, uh, like the, the, the clothing line that we launched for the entire partnership that we launched for target, um, mm. yeah, shameless plug. It's really good. I'm not just saying that I really love the stuff that we've got in target, everything from like the interior pieces to, uh, the clothing line, uh, big fan of it. Um, and it just felt, it felt like a wonderful merge between Lego and our primary colors scheme to target and their red and white color scheme and that the yep. content output that came for it, it just felt it, it works really well. So yes, that's, that, that's one of the things that I'm most excited about. I think also, uh, the Adidas partnership that we did, uh, with our, uh, with the Adidas all-star, um, we partnered with, uh, some Lego fans, uh, a falls at all fans of Lego. Um, we partnered with some creators of that and their spin on that shoe, um, the Lego built shoe mm -hmm. and their sort of reversioning of it uh is just some of the coolest content i've ever seen as a sneakerhead i was very inspired by their builds versus just the products that we put on shelf as a you know what i'm not going to go down that question we've only got like 10 minutes left <laughs> i was going to go into another rabbit hole and take us down but i'm gonna i'm gonna hold no on worries. that um, sure. okay let, let, let's talk larger creative inspiration as we round home mm. um i know that for us i've sat in so many brainstorms especially over covid when people are on zoom where it's like it's like, hey, uh, what ideas does everybody have? Let's go around the room. And I'm like, this is not the way to brainstorm. There's a structure. Yes. There's a framework that you use. So talk to us about like some of the specific frameworks you guys use at Lego when you're coming up with new ideas. Yeah. Love this question. This question is very uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, yeah. COVID has changed the game. Right. Uh, from a creative inspiration standpoint. Um, I think there are certain reasons where I think it's actually impacted it positively, right? Uh, generally speaking, I think a lot of creatives tend to be introverted. Um, and group brainstorms are terrifying places for a group of creatives. Not terrifying is a strong word, but not the most conducive places, like those sort of uh, collaborative group sessions. Um, so I really like what COVID has done in some cases where it's an opportunity to bring people together and then go away. And you don't have the distraction in theory, you don't have the distraction. I say that with two dogs and three kids, definitely have distractions, but in the ideal scenario where you don't have the distraction, right. Uh, as an introvert creative, I think COVID has wonderfully helped your product productivity. I think, um, so that's one spin on it. I think when working with external partners, uh, this sort of remote way of working is impossible, right? When you're bringing in someone external who doesn't have the knowledge and insight of, you know, your brand guidelines and those sort of things. Uh, I miss those two day workshops where it's highly effective 
very intense. Um, you know, and I think that is, uh, had a pretty dramatic impact. Um, COVID aside, uh, you know, my co-creative director and I have a really strong opinion of bringing the outside in, right? And that can come in very, very many ways, shapes and form, uh, sizes, right? So we've done, we sort of have creative Wednesday sessions that are kind of a lunch hour plus, uh, so it's like a two hour session, um, and we do it in our sort of uh, open office area, uh, completely optional. Uh, and we do things like, um, uh, judge, uh, an advertising, uh, award show, right? So, um, uh, we are judging, we were judging the one show, um, which is like one of the big advertising, uh, awards. And we were judging a category, um, of, uh, internal agency pieces. Um, and we got the final, you know, it's many stages and every judging panel has a different uh, panel, but we got everyone in a room or even this open room and we watched the 10 campaigns to the 10 uh, advertising campaigns. Um, and everyone had to pick their top three in rank order. Uh, and then, you know, we got an opportunity to talk through it, why we picked that one. And it went way back into like, you know, it goes back into your sort of college advertising critique classes. Oh yeah, I was a fine arts major and it, you know, it's, it's that sort of opportunity to, again, take, remove yourself from the day to day, remove yourself from, uh, being very close to something personally and professionally and have a, a wonderful dialogue and also see what resonates with some people versus what resonates with others. Right. So that's one thing that we've done. The next session we're doing is, uh, ad week published the top 10 most effective ads based on Kantar. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to spring it on them. They don't know this yet, uh, where we're going to go through and look at those 10 campaigns, uh, and they are going to grade them. We have a internal scorecard one through 10 and there's category there's, you know, to definitions of those scores. And I'm going to have everyone grade that work. And then at the end, unveil the fact that these were the top 10 most effective ads and it'll create, I think a very different type of dialogue. Right. So I think it's that idea. It's that idea we've brought in, uh, I'm uh, close with, uh, the New York Mets social media team, uh, okay. right. And I've brought in the New York Mets to talk about how they go about creating content, uh, from a in inning standpoint, right. Which is nuts. If you think about it, um, quick they're right. Moving. Yes. How quick they're moving and you know, the way they have to react to fans, right. If they're losing, they stop posting real quick, <laughs> right. They don't want to drive that hate any further. Um, right. So again, it's very much predicated about bringing the outside in and there's numbers ways that we do that. I love it. Um, and, and I, oh, gosh, I, I'm curious too, like, this is a, a great answer for how to keep your team fresh and constantly inspired yeah. and bringing creativity in the organization. Are there like, let's, let's say in a, when you're working on a creative brief, is there a specific structure for how you guys come up with ideas during that meeting? So more, more yep. work targeted, we've got a goal and yes. how, can you give us some frameworks that you guys use for that? Real, real yeah, quick, definitely. Since we're running um, out of time. I can't, I can go real quick. Um, you know, yes, there is, uh, we have definitely moved back into, uh, conceptual, uh, person and copywriter as a creative partnership. They are responsible, uh, to lead the campaign development from 
concept to sell it. Um, and we have three stages, uh, of deliverables that they are responsible for hitting. Right. And, um, uh, as a creative director, we help shape that closer and closer and closer and closer. Right. So it's everything from, uh, we have a little bit of research and inspiration session, and we work collaboratively to just talk about a category, talk about an audience, talk about some work we've seen out there that, that resonated with us, um, that aligns with the objective of the brief, uh, that it goes into, uh, directions like high level potential creative directions, um, limited words, just like potential directions that we could take. Um, then it's more of an idea statement, right? A little bit more detail on those directions, right? So you may start with eight different directions and we'll narrow them into three and they become idea statements and they're a little bit more wordy and a little bit more directive. And then you, uh, wordsmith those idea statements and, and add a concept visual tied to it, right? It's very sort of old school advertising, uh, on what I used to do at college, but I think it, it helps, you know, really get to that point of, uh, if you can't sell the idea into, uh, sell the idea in a key visual or concept visual, um, you're going to have a tar hard time selling it in, uh, and making a, a good piece of content. So that's our process. That's our approach. Um, it's not that rigid. I made it sound really rigid, but those are the, the three milestones that we try and we try and keep to. As kindred spirits around structure and analytics, I'm gaining <laughs> from you. Uh, I can I can appreciate that you gave it a little bit more structure than uh, yes than maybe what it looks like in practice. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, James, are there any other words of advice uh, that you would give our listeners uh, before we part? Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly, if you're in the creative field or the marketing field. Um, Curiosity, I think, is the most important characteristic you can have. Um, and uh, I would I would also say that if you're not curious, uh, maybe you're in the wrong field. Um, you know, I, I think it, it is uh, so important, especially as, you know, the world moves to a more remote style of working. Um, you know, if you are not personally curious about the thing that you're working on, um, I, I just think it's, it's you know, that the element of curiosity is so wildly important. So, um, yeah, stay curious. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's probably it. I love it. James, where can people follow along your journey? Where can people get your insights? Because you're dropping knowledge yeah. on the regular basis. Oh, that's very kind. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, listen, uh, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. Um, J L W Greg, um, uh, more active on Twitter, uh, than usual, um, at JLW Greg and I am at JLW Greg across all things. Um, so, uh, Facebook, not so much anymore, but, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, JLW Greg. Great stuff. James, looking forward to the next conversation. Appreciate you being part of the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. To all of our listeners. Thanks so much. And, uh, James, we'll talk soon.